Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome back to the Printavo Print Hustlers podcast. Excited to have you. Um, we've got a really cool guest today, actually. We do. Matt Merklein, he, he ran a manufacturing business for about 20 years or so um, in the oil industry. Very different, but I'm going to tell you why it's incredible. Um, the principles and concepts from the 90s and 2000s even, you know, even really before the internet fully took off in manufacturing and how they can apply to screen printing industry embroidery and just decorated apparel as a whole is pretty powerful. Matt spent upwards of like $150,000 plus $250,000 of training to install like a major ERP system uh, for contract manufacturing. And so uh, it was super interesting to hear some of his war stories um, and some of his pain points, whether it was efficiency with employees, pricing customers, saying no to customers, saying yes to customers. Super interesting podcast. And uh, it's going to be a great episode. Um, And if you haven't already, like us on YouTube, Spotify, give us a rating. Maybe we'll get a giveaway from one of our sponsors. I heard this on Shirt Show. I thought it was a good idea. So um, maybe I'll maybe I'll do some free giveaways on behalf of our sponsors. All right, Bruce, who we got first? GraphX Source. If you need a solution to help improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, you got to check out GraphX Source. The big thing is, is that they're handling so much of your production art. They're handling order entry, digitizing, vectorizing, uh, even back office admin and some customer service. You can have art that's a la carte. You can have art that's a full-time artist. They're trained. They work in Printavo too. So that's really cool. And uh, they trigger a status. It goes as an email to somebody. They attach art. It goes back to you to send it off to the customer. Really streamlines it. I know Campus Sync is working with, what, two or three artists now? Three. Oh, three. Awesome. Three, three, three. So hit us up if, or hit Nick Wood up, Lucas, Brent. Um, they're incredible. Obviously, if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out. But thanks so much, Graphic Source. Uh, I believe there's a coupon for 50% off your first graph, your first order. Printavo Pod. Make sure Printavo you use it. Printavo Pod. Easy way. Um, the easiest way. Uh, Bruce, when you're reclaiming in your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start over. At Campus Inc., we use uh, 701 and 842 as our favorite chemicals from Easy Way. Um, and. Uh, uh, Easyway's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the do- job done faster and easier um, for a fraction of the cost per screen. Um, they're with over a hundred distributors across the country, and yeah. they always have resources and best practices, and they support the industry, and they're awesome. So, thanks so much, Easyway. We really appreciate y'all. Supercolor is innovated. It's transfers. They've got a new next-gen transfer that's way easier to peel. They've tested this on so many different types of heat presses. And you can honestly say that the world's best heat transfer has gotten that much better. We did a really cool episode with the owners, Mike and Rum, and about how they innovated on it. And it was quite the process. I'm talking year to year process to be able to get here. And this thing is live. This is their next-gen transfer that are easier to peel and it gives you more confidence when you're working in production on it. When you have more confidence, you can decorate on these things faster. And when you decorate faster, you know that time is money and you can knock out that job and keep it moving. 
So regardless of that type of equipment you're using now, you can be able to experience the super fast, super easy process of super color. Ooh, that one was good. <laughs> I like that. Um, add it to the super dictionary. Um, all right. Multicraft underscore daddy. This one's for you. So this episode is going to be coming out after the event. Um, but Multicraft is actually opening up a new training facility and showroom in the Chicago suburbs. As we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, there are classes going on there today, tomorrow, and they have a grand opening on Friday. So we'll have to do a recap uh, to talk a little bit about it. Um, but I'm super proud of Dave Eggers and the team at Multicraft. They've been working really hard for this. If you need ink supplies or a daddy, um, follow Multicraft underscore daddy. Um, tell them Printavo sent you for 10% off your first order. They're blowing up. It's awesome. Hell yeah. And ready for this? Multicraft Daddy is being a, a good leader and he's got Multicraft Jimmy, Multicraft Sam. You can just follow the whole Multicraft family on Instagram. And Jimmy's been making some pretty hilarious TikToks. They're very dad quality. So um, I'm really enjoying them. Heck All right. Yeah. Let's get to All it. Right. Well, thank you guys for, yeah, keep contacting me. And uh, like I said, I feel like I'm the white whale a little bit. And you, you guys have been diligent about reaching out. And I'm not so good about communicating back, just a lot of things going on. So, yeah, that, that, no, no worries. That's why we know this will be a good interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, well, I, I've got maybe six or so guests that I just keep following up with. Um, and, and anybody knows, like, I have no, like, it doesn't bother me. I'm just like, they're busy. I know they see it. It's just like when I get emails or anybody else is like, yeah, I, oh shoot. Yeah. I'm going to get to this. And then I just don't. Right. Right. That's, that's kind of what it's been for me. It's uh oh, I need to get back to them. I need to get back to them. But it's, uh, it's been kind of just kind of a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I've been working on, uh, helping my wife's business and, um, no, that goes great every day, you know. What is her wife's guys. business? Is that the cake for one that's on your shirt? Yeah, that's the cake for one on my shirt. Yeah, um, I didn't mean to promote it today, but. <laughs> Free promotions, that's uh, what you get. You know, nothing goes better than advising your wife on her business. I mean, that, that <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I, I Matt, stay do out of any, it. Do you have any advice for Bruce? I just buy I think, equipment. Yeah. I think he needs um, yeah. that right now. That's what this talk should turn into is how to give your wife good advice. Bruce, start taking about notes. About her business, to be very About specific. her business. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. if you're listening to this, we're helping Bruce. We promise. It, it makes uh, for great pillow talk in the evening. You know, you're like, oh, baby, your business is so sexy. And <laughs> I'm telling you, you might as well just go sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you started a pretty incredible business in the manufacturing space back in uh, the 90s that you ran for quite some time. We met at a trade show in Texas. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but... Um, Graphics Expo, I think it was. That's yes. It. Yes, that's it. What was really interesting is I think we talked to her maybe 30 minutes until your wife's like, hey, we, we got to go. And uh, right. <laughs> but But the crazy thing was you were talking about software in your space and in manufacturing. And I was like, oh, how, how do you do pricing or how do you manage production or how do you do all these things in a manufacturing environment, which Stephen and I have talked a lot about as, you know, we could swallow our pride and say that we're just sort of figuring it out. But I feel like manufacturing world has a lot more best practices, principles, integrations, and all these other things where our industry needs to go. 
And uh, honestly, that's what I want to dive into a lot today. But to just more so kick it off with a little bit more background, maybe about Axial Systems, how you got started, what exactly it is. Well, what it was, because uh, <laughs> sometimes things don't play the whole way out, but uh, we were a contract manufacturer. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be on Guy Raz right now, how I built this, but uh, it's like how I built this thing before it crashed kind of scenario. But, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, uh, you're hopelessly optimistic. And uh, so uh, sometimes you'll take, not sometimes, all the times you'll take the risks uh, that maybe maybe aren't the, the best moves, but it's because it's a lot of times a lot of them work out. So uh, Axia Systems was a contract manufacturer for uh, electromechanical assemblies. So we did, uh, uh, you know, we did cable assemblies. A lot of it was oil field based, uh, rig based kind of stuff. So when these guys are drilling, uh, they, they want to know when they pull the tool out of the out of the hole, if they didn't get the information while it was in, you know, going in the drill hole, they want to pull it out, download the data, get that, you know, analyze that and send it back down. So we built a lot of the designed and built a lot of the surface systems uh, for those things. Now, the good thing about oil field is you can make a ton of money. Uh, the bad thing is, is all the other clients that you come across aren't going to make you that kind of money. So it's kind of hard to diversify, but um, you can learn a lot. And uh, the oil field also kind of spoils you with process and procedure. They just want to get it done. Uh, you do million dollar deals on a handshake. That's good enough. Uh, when you pay, when you send the invoice, they pay it immediately. Um, they're good old boys. Uh, at least they, they were in the past, but um, our business uh, grew and and my my skills I was constantly trying to keep up with what the business required and that that's probably is the most difficult part and we didn't have all the uh, what you want to say we didn't have all the great systems that are available now in software I mean um, Excel was available and, and everybody relied on that real heavily but you know QuickBooks was the product of choice uh, I can't say enough about their success but also where it really falls into a hole. So Matt, what year was this? Uh, what year you t give us? Uh, uh, I started this. I started it in 91 and I continued to work for another company till 93, uh, kind of in a, a similar uh, or synergistic kind of way. And they were fine with that. But uh, I was the guy in the, in the cheap apartments rolling, you know, 500 pound spools of, um, of cable up my stairs when the drug dealers were asking me what I was doing, you know, so it was, <laughs> it was a little bit different, but I would sit there on the weekends and, uh, you know, put things together and, uh, in my apartment. And there was a lot of fake it till you make it kind of stuff, uh, where, uh, you know, your, your, your big customer, you know, almost an IBM level wants to come see you and you're like, I, if they come see my apartment, we're done. We're, <laughs> this is game over. So, um, that said, um, you know, you kind of stave them off. There's a lot of the shell game going on, uh, as long as you can, till you can afford to look more substantial than, uh, and come up to match what you're actually doing for them. So, uh, but yeah, I started that, uh, did it, started it full time, uh, in 93. And, and unfortunately I had my wife help me a little bit with it, which is the, what the penance I'm paying now. So, <laughs> and, and Matt, how long did you run that for? Uh, that went away in 2010, 2010. Gotcha. So a few years, I'm almost institutionalized at this point. So, 
All, all um, good. So, like, listeners can kind of get the scale or the magnitude. I don't know if it's a dollars and cents, how many employees. How would you describe the operation that you ran? It was it was almost equal in production people to front office people because I offered engineering services. Um, but, you know, at, I think at our peak, we probably were at 48 people, um, of which were all very vetted people. Um, it takes a long time to get to 48 vetted people, but, uh, and then we, we hit about eight, little over 8 million in sales, uh, I think. Uh, but in oil field, that isn't, you know, at 30% profit, that's much higher. And so, uh, if there's a couple things I could redo, a lot of it would be financial, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, what do you mean by redo financial? Well, I mean, you know, if you, if you knew the water was going to dry up, you would have started putting it in jugs. <laughs> so instead of doubling down and saying, okay, now I'm going to spend money and improve this area. Uh, you always have to take care of the business. I think that's the number one thing that an entrepreneur should know is they got to take care of the business. I think the, the probably the best thing I ever heard uh, from a, uh, an article or somewhere was Ross Perot said uh, in his early days, um, you guys are probably too young to know who Ross Perot is, but uh, he built Perot systems and um, he, he ran for president against George Bush senior. But he said one time he couldn't afford a $5 haircut because it took $5 out of his company and his 10 times earning target where you sell your company for 10 times your earnings. It was a $50 haircut. And back in the fifties uh, or sixties, he just said that was just an insane amount to spend on a haircut. So, um, yeah, that, uh, that's, that's one thing that just you've got to remember. Bees, feeding the bees. That's, that's yeah. like, uh, we, you know, we used to, we had Mike McCallowitz on who, you know, wrote the book profit first. And his whole thing was, um, it's like your business can be like a tube of toothpaste where when it's full, you, you know, you kind of loosey goosey a little bit with it and it, like, Oh, it gets a little on the sink. It's that's fine. Um, but then when it's totally at the end, you're like squeezing everything out of it, right. And rolling it twice and, and like pushing your thumbs right. in there and, um, just to get a little bit out and you're, you're, you're more careful, but for sure it, it's so we, Steve yeah. and I were literally texting about this last night that psychologically, you just want to keep giving more and more. And and the question is, is what, when, when it, where is the limit? Um, and how do you control yourself too? Yeah, it's, uh, it, that's the hard part. And there's no college course. There's, there's nothing out there that really teaches you that other than, you know, touching the stove yourself and, uh, and knowing the next time you won't touch it. <laughs> you know, so I say that's sometimes the way you learn. Through, through fire, Matt, I'm but. curious how you prior because I mean you own the business for a pretty long time. Um, you know how did you prioritize making money versus like growth, like sales versus like optimizing and creating systems and stuff? Do you feel like you were like tell us about where you maybe made mistakes or where you were really successful, like? Cause I, me and Bruce were just literally texting about this of being in growth mode. Um, and then how that, that could be really bad too. <laughs> your, your business has one of two problems. You're going to have one or two problems. Uh, it's either going to be a sales problem or a production problem. Uh, you don't want to have both and, and normally you wouldn't, but if you have a production problem, uh, 
you usually don't have a sales problem. That means production is trying to keep up with sales. If you have a production problem, sales is waiting. And, and that's an equal problem. So it's one or the other. So it's always going to, it's a teeter totter. You're never going to have it level. Uh, if you do have it level, it's probably time for you to sell because you're happy with where things are and you're not growing the business. You're not servicing what you built, you know, and, and that's okay too. Uh, there's, the goal is to sell, you know, you want that, that mailbox uh, money at the end, that, that F you walk away kind of thing, as I always say. Where you give up, uh, you just got to kind of figure out at some point what your uh, what your end goals are, uh, and that and it's okay to make a moving target. A, a friend of mine taught me this. He goes, set a a just a number that somebody. If you said somebody came in and, and offered this, it, it, you take it right, and and then then when it comes that day when you say you should be at that number evaluate it and say, okay, what's my new number? If I'm not ready to sell, what's my new number? And you just, and I kind of did it coming up. I said, God, when I can afford a Corvette, I'm going to buy a Corvette. I'm going to pay cash for it. And this is like the early nineties. By the time I got where I had the cash to pay for a Corvette, I wanted a Ferrari, you know, so it just kind of, just kind of keeps stair stepping up. And, uh, but you got to be kind of one of those people who's always chasing too. And, and uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, skills that it takes to be an entrepreneur, uh, it, no matter what the business is, uh, as well as a, uh, a certain kind of sacrifice that you have to be willing to make. You know, you talked a lot about, I remember we had this conversation about systems. I was asking, what is something that you would have done earlier in the business? And it was something I thought about systems. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, I would have spent more on my operating systems and and probably focus less on equipment uh, early on. And I, I think what drives that is, you know, everybody wants, you want automation. When you say automation, people start thinking of robotic arms. They start thinking, uh, how do I keep people out off the production line? How do I, uh, you know, straighten some of these things out without the human element? Uh, but information systems are inherently more valuable than the automation in production. Uh, in many cases. And so to be able to give information, information is the key to your growth of your company. Uh, one of my problems uh, I, I always encountered was the, the three questions you get when you get an opportunity. Can you guys do it? Uh, how much is it going to cost? When can I have it? Well, I could answer the first two pretty quickly. If you've done anything long enough, you can shoot from the hip on pricing. You're kind of staring the guy in the face. You get to know what, when you mention something that might be a little uncomfortable for him, uh, you know, price-wise. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, there's very few times that you say, no, we can't do that. Uh, so those two are easy. But when someone says, when can I have this? That's when the lying starts. <laughs> so, And uh, we had a uh, – our motto was uh, – from Hannibal Barca back in the 1400s, I believe, when they said uh, you can't drive uh, elephants through the mountains, you know, in a in a in an army scenario, and uh, he goes, "We'll either find a way or make one." So that became our our mantra: "We'll find a way or make one," which is really a nicer way this, than saying uh, "lion make it happen." So uh, that was kind of the the basis of of what we did. 
Intavo has a lot of the software you're going to be able to use to keep track of everything in your shop, whether it's stores, art, or workflow. And here's why. Number one, Printavo, keeping track of your workflow from start to finish and keeping your team on the same page. You can't grow without having a really good, clean system to run off of. Number two, Inksoft, managing stores from one store to tons of stores at a time. You got to be able to keep that all in one place too and manage their fulfillment in a very easy and clean backend. That's Inksoft. And then last but not least, three, Graphics Flow. Here's what's really cool about this. When a customer goes to you and says, hey, I'm on a volleyball team and I'm looking for 50 shirts. And you're like, okay, what's your art? And they're like, I don't have any art. Well, guess what? Graphics Flow has all of that art. They, as the customer can look it up or you can look it up and it's all grouped by different categories. It's incredible. When we're Googling around to find out inspiration and all that good stuff, it's all right there. And on top of it, you edit the art right there. You send it off for approval and boom, it looks super clean. It, it, it allows not just the artist to be able to do the art, but also salespeople and people that don't know how to use Illustrator and Photoshop to do the art too. Super cool. It's like Canva if you've used that but for screen printing shops. Okay, we'll jump back into the episode. I'm curious, was it really hard? One of the hardest things I've learned in business as a younger person is learning how to say no. Like, yeah, yeah we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Do you feel like at a certain point, you guys were saying yes, 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 yes. And that led to a lot of the problems or was that not an issue? Saying yes never led to a problem. Mm-hmm. It... it, it it had the potential to lead to a disaster. <laughs> and uh, I found that <laughs> I found that That's a funny uh, way of looking at putting it. that kind of yeah, kind of putting that pressure on myself and my organization put us at a new level all the time. It's like saying, well, can you guys do a nuclear uh, beam radio? Well, how much are we talking about here? You know, that, that was always the lead part of that conversation was how much money are we talking about here? And at that point, you figured out it quickly if you could say yes or no. And in your mind, you're like, oh, crap, I just said yes. And uh, now I got to get this done. I want to get back to systems. But Bruce, isn't it funny? This literally when you say something to your customers and your employees see it and, and they go, is he crazy? And then you look at them and you're like, no, we're going to do it. And they're like, how the <laughs> hell? And you're like, we're going to pull it off. Like, I can think of so many instances where they're like, what did you just say yes to? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll figure it out. Right. Did that ever? I, I could just picture like, I don't know. That happens to me all the time. I'm curious, Bruce, is that do you remember those days? When we dove into merch, um, Matt, this is kind of like we had a second product. So we had the core workflow software which is Printavo. And then we had merch, which is this e-commerce kind of add-on for shops to use. Yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was just, you know, me uh, and two other engineers uh, who are also supporting the core product. And yeah, we absolutely got spread pretty thin, pretty quickly. Um, Project took way longer and so on, but yeah. But that's how you leveled up. (laughs) That's how you leveled up, which I think is important there. So I, I think there's a lot to be said there is, I feel like in a small business, you create chaos and then you rein it in and you create more chaos and then you rein it in, you create more chaos. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Matt, you, you just talked about the difference between information and data um, versus equipment. This is definitely very relevant in our industry. Everyone goes to the trade shows to buy the fanciest presses. Um, 
and they don't think about the complete other side of that business during the 90s like you don't have cloud computing you don't have all these things what were your systems like were they very manual paper driven like you know obviously there's like equipment and stuff that can run but what what was that like yeah, it, it was a little bit of that. I mean, they, they were good at inventory control. I mean, it's like, oh, we're going to build 20 of these and we're going to consume all these parts and, and so on. But what they didn't really take into account was when are the parts going to, you know, you could say when the parts are coming in, but the system didn't really look at that. It would let you schedule stuff yesterday. Oh, yeah, we can ship that yesterday. Well, shit, if I could do anything yesterday, I'd have picked the right six numbers and we'd have a different conversation today. You know, so <laughs> that's uh, the six number lotto retirement plan. <laughs> so so do, do you think that lack of investment or lack of maybe uh, prioritization of systems in a small business, like why is that? Why do business owners, because this is definitely happening everywhere where, you know, they're like, they don't know their numbers. They don't have processes in place, but they're definitely, they have the nicest presses, the nicest equipment. Is that a lack of, you know, what do you see? That's a lack of uh, the long play. You know, it's, it's almost like saying uh, we got a really good quarterback and we don't have any receivers. Uh, we don't have any coaches, those kind of things. You know, it, it, you've got you've got the talent on the on the production side, but what you don't have is the front office to really back it up. Um, and it, it, that is so hard to get across the 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 finish line with, with those, that conversation, because, you know, the, I, I don't know how many times I was at shows with, with people and I could hear a guy going, well, we need another one of those. Ours is busy all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean? Well, it's busy all the time. Every time I go out there, it's busy. And I'm like, how often do you go out there? Are you standing there watching it? You know, the, uh, a cab that's busy all the time might just be a cab sitting at the airport it's not on the road. It's only making money when it's on the road. So I always started driving towards efficiency of use. You know, the, the more you're using it, the more you can justify replacing it. I, I had a scenario where we had one CNC lathe and we were, uh, it was, I looked on the scheduling. Now, this is after I put in a better, better system, but I looked on it. It was always at, at uh, 120% capacity and, uh, and it was a risk. It was a, we had risk mitigation we had to do at that point and say, OK, uh, what if this thing breaks down? What's the average repair time on this? You know, and that's tough to figure out. But uh, we figured out it was about eight to ten weeks. And uh, so I removed it from our capacity planning and uh, it showed that I missed out on uh, four hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, immediate shipments and it just started stacking up from there to about two and a half million without Here's taking into account the if it went down. And so now here we have some machine that we're relying on 120% out of the day. Uh, and it was a, a definite risk, but in, in five minutes we had our answer. I didn't even leave my desk when I went ahead and, uh, said, okay, well, what's it going to cost us to run a second shift on that machine? Well, it can't just have people. You got to have the materials as well. I invested fifty thousand in materials and overtime, and we avoided another three hundred thousand dollar purchase of another machine. Let alone the the effort of getting it all in, unloaded, hooked up, and everything else. And that was our risk mitigation. So we ended up building up inventory, uh, but we had that luxury. We weren't a 
we had scheduled orders and things like that. So not everybody can do that, but a lot of businesses have what I call repeat business. You, you can't have a business without some repeat uh, customer stuff. What about, what about, so this happens a lot too in the space where it's second shift or more equipment and continuing to run the shift. The second shift though tends to mean I need someone to manage the shop when I'm not there. That's difficult in itself. Um, things can go wrong or so on. The equipment purchase, once it's paid off, it's paid off. Um, whereas, you know, maybe the extra labor and so on continues over time. What's your response to that when you were looking at it? The labor to me was always the, something I could get immediately. Right. I I could, uh, I had a, when when I, when I set up the, the, the higher end ERP that I went with, uh, we had work centers, workstations, and they all had uh, finite capacity. Like your, your screen printer would be a finite capacity thing. It could, it's, uh, oh, you know, it, it's a one-to-one kind of scenario. It hardly runs unattended, but I did have some work centers. So I'd set those up with finite capacity, but I did have one work center called uh, 7-Eleven and it was infinite capacity. And all it was, was taking off the metal parts out of the machines, deburring the sharp edges off and washing the parts. And uh, everybody was like, well, how come you set up that as an infinite capacity? And and not to sound, uh, uh, you know, in, in politically incorrect, but at that point, that that work center could load up to two or three hundred hours in a day, and all I would do is get in the pickup, go up to Seven Eleven, and find some day laborers to come and do that because it was a it, it didn't require a lot of training to do, but I could had a temporary workforce available at Seven Eleven to help me get this done, and they were there, they were looking for work, and it was a. Uh, it wasn't a bad gig. It paid well. And I had a set rate per hour and I had to have the cash uh, in hand. So, you know, that, that you're just taking advantage of uh, or using the resources around you when you can on those things. Matt, what was a system like that cost? Like, what did it cost when you installed something like that? I mean, an $8 million business. What was that type of investment? Because that's a, I imagine, was pretty robust. Matt said high-end um, ERP. I don't know if you caught that. High-end ERP. What would a high-end <laughs> ERP in the mid-90s cost? Let's see. The second s- system I bought was about sixty grand, and that was considered an MRP, material resource planning. Uh, but the last one I purchased was around $150,000, 160000 for 10 seats, maybe 12 seats. Um, wow. And uh, it was another two hundred five. Two thousand. Yeah, 2005. Um, and then... Uh, Probably another two hundred fifty thousand in training. Oh my and gosh! Wait, like so implementing <laughs> it and and you know training the staff and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and one of the, one of the problems you have with that is after you get everybody trained, they they have you by the proverbial private parts. You know, at that point, they <laughs> because you don't want to lose them because they are now inherently more valuable. Right. Uh, because they they know that section of the software that that you don't know, and uh, so you have to keep bad employees till you find a way around it, or I'd say under underperforming employees. Uh, but uh, my my ROI on that was about eighteen months, and uh, sometimes you have to double down. Like you double down, you spend a, a million dollars to grow five hundred thousand in sales, but it sets you at that next platform. To, How do you to measure the ROI of that investment? Um, it was pretty easily, actually, uh, we grew in sales, but I, I took that lesson to account, 
Uh, I was able to streamline the accounting department from three, three and a half people down to one. And uh, because of automation of information and customer service, I was able to take down from three to, to one and a half. And so just direct labor savings alone and purchasing, I took that down to one person. And uh, so I was able to lean up that front office and uh, got the point so confident that I was looking at buying companies five times my size because of the system I had in place. I, th- I think that's sometimes where small business owners will evaluate the price of a piece of you know software um, without understanding the efficiency of it. Even with like tape, we just met with Andrew from PMI Tape, and if the tape saves you you know one minute a screen over you know a hundred screens a day, that all adds up. Um, and I think that you know that that's kind of like people just like can't see it. I feel like like they're they're like. If I can't see it, I and I can't measure it, then I like don't believe in it. Um, but even at Campus Inc., we'll say if we take all of our technology combined, uh, all of our subscriptions, and we've got everything there, you know, everything you could imagine, it's still cheaper than any employee we have. You know, it's still cheaper than any employee. So we say that if, like if a software will save an employee one hour a day, and you do that. 10 times, you know, that's, that adds up. Um, and it's significant. I think shops are seeing that as they start to outsource their art department with graphics, we're seeing it a lot starting. There's like light bulbs starting to go off. Bruce, have you seen a a mindset shift or are people still stubborn? We got a lot of keyboard warriors in our space. So I um, I think it's hard until you hit a certain scale to see because you're so busy, like I just used to be so busy being busy, like just completing tasks to get stuff out of the way that I didn't have enough time to step back and actually really think about it. But then when you have 30 people, then it's like, you know, oh, wow, holy cow. Okay, one person not being here, that's a actually pretty big savings on a dollar amount, maybe not percentage wise, but... um it's still hard unless you're actively trying to measure it. But it sounds like Matt, like you were really analytical. I mean, just to measure that ROI on it uh, is pretty, pretty savvy. Well, I think giving me a lot of credit there. It, it was fairly easy just in, in the employee re you know, shuffle uh, and looking at the salaries and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, the, the flip side of that, which I really couldn't measure was, how happy our, our, our customers were with our more accurate um, deliverables, you know, and, and information, you know, and then they could call at any time and say, where is this at? We were getting close to allowing our customers to log in and follow their, their orders through the, the shop. And so um, I'm glad we never did that because that probably would have generated a lot more uh Heretic activity than I was already instigating. Matt, who, who do you who do you look up to, or who do you give a lot of credit to, or where do you learn this from? Um, because I think every entrepreneur is strung a little bit differently. For me, it's you know my dad watching him run a business when I was younger. What who was it for you? Well, this is going to sound really bad. I, I didn't really have any reference to look at. You know, I was kind of charging out there on my own. Um, I can say this. Um, as you go through life and you've got your, your group of friends and your buddies, uh, it's okay to be in the lead, 
just don't uh, get all the way to the top of the mountain while they're still kind of hovering around base camp. Because when you start to fall backwards a little bit, there's no hands hitting you in the middle of the back. And uh, so uh, it's good to have an entourage around you. Uh, like I said, it's okay to be in the lead, but don't get so far ahead that even when you do start to fall off the mountain, uh, your friends just, they can't do anything for you or you'll drag them all with you. So uh, they go, what's that going past? You know, yeah. Like, did, did you have so, a circle? Did you have a circle of other entrepreneurs? Like, did you, no, was it pretty lonely? It was, it was pretty lonely. Yeah. And I, I was okay with that. I, I'm not one to shy away from a, a spotlight, but uh, I was okay with that, but didn't realize really the risk in that either. And, and as an entrepreneur, you don't have time to network. You spend all your day looking inside. I mean, I got to the point where I had people go to the bathroom for me. I mean, you, you, you're just, you're, you don't have to touch the ground per se. And uh, so your network just, it, it, it comes, your vision becomes very inward and uh so that's that was another thing that I learned as well real quickly. I actually adopted this real quickly. Uh, I'd have sales guys show up with no appointment and ask to see me. And how many guys do you think I'd turn away a week doing that? I mean, take a guess. How many guys do you think I turned away a week? Five. Zero. Because I was so busy looking inward and they were out there. They would bring me opportunities just by our conversations. Oh, you know who you need to talk to? Oh, you know who could use your help? Da 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 da, and that's how I got my sales. That's a great. That's a great sales rep. Yeah, and so um, you know they're trying to sell you something. At the same time, it's a little bit of you know wash your back, watch mine. But um, yeah, I, I never really turned anybody away who was out there every day because I was so busy staring inward, trying to fix everything from the copy machine to the CNC machines to the, you know the processes. So it allowed me to keep uh, keep in tune what was going on out there in the in the marketplace without having to go out there myself uh not that that wasn't my goal i just i couldn't be in two places at once so you uh mentioned pricing a little bit before you know in our space pricing is always a a, a question of what should it be uh, am i making enough like it's sort of is there money left over at the end type of thing um how did though how did you think about pricing in a manufacturing world? When it came to information systems, I didn't care. I didn't care that this product was going to be 50,000 more than the, this other product. I was really focusing on the functionality of it and what it could do for my business. Um, if you're shopping price, uh, you're not really looking at product. You're not really looking at capability. So, but when I went out on the manufacturing floor, I, I severely focused on price because it was all about time. And I'm a big proponent of time. Time's the most valuable asset we have. Uh, nobody's ever laid there on their deathbed and said, God, I wish I had more money. Now, in your last few minutes, you wish you had more time. So, you know, it's the most valuable product on the planet. Um, so, I constantly focused on time. Time was everything. I can tell you right now in my wife's business, how much time it takes to put frosting on a cake, how long it takes to bake it, how long it takes to put it in the jar, how long it takes to put the lids on. I can tell you exactly all that. And she might not be able to, but I can. And if she sees this, I'm sure I'm not going to have a great day either. But <laughs> wait, so um, how, how do you connect? About- how do you connect that to price? Like what like in, in, in physically, was it? 
you know, I, I'm sure when you had the system baked out and everything, it was starting to record it, but you know, is it clipboard? Is it what? And then calculating yeah, it you, all the way up to dollars. Did, did you have a quick, a quick formula in your head? Like that? Yeah, this is really interesting. There's two ways to get to profitability. One is uh, selling at a, at an acceptable uh, price, you know, to your client, uh, allowing them to buy a faster delivery time and also strategic material acquisition. So knowing that you can accumulate all these things, like for a print shop, you might say, oh, okay, well, I've got this guy who wants 50 t-shirts, this guy wants 1,000 t-shirts, this guy wants 2,000. I'm going to buy 5,000 of this t-shirt and I'm going to stick that. Now I can, now I've increased my margin on each order, but focusing on, um, on that was just internal. The rest is this guy saying, well, I want to pay $5 a t-shirt or say $20 a shirt. And and you say, well, that's going to be two weeks. And the guy goes, oh, where can, I, can I get them sooner? And you go, okay, yeah. Without just doing him a favor, you can say, all right, uh, if you want them sooner, they're 20, you know, if you want them in a week, they're $25 each. If you want them in three days, they're $30 each. If you want them tomorrow, they're $50 each. You guys go to UPS and pay for UPS Red or overnight all the time. They're not putting a gun to your head to do that. You're making that decision. And when you make that decision, uh, you can't be mad at your suppliers for doing that. And that's how you make money is selling time. But in order to sell time, you can't jack over your other business that you've got scheduled in the pipeline. And that's what drives the information system so big for me is how do I how do I capitalize on these opportunities without losing the ones I have, uh, without making the other customers upset because I put something else in front of theirs. Matt, and you said you, you could do it faster. You can gain the items together for a better margin. What was the last part you said for uh, just market pricing? Well, you, first of all, you have to know what the market bears. You know, you're going to go out there and see a $100 T-shirt, a custom screen T-shirt. The guy's going to call somebody else and say, oh, no, we can do that for 25 bucks." So you kind of need to know, uh, first of all, what, what the acceptable market price is. Now, I was in kind of special items. You know, I wasn't in a commodity, as per mm-hmm. se. So uh, there wasn't a lot of people they could go shop at. Um and, and that that kind of makes a difference, right? I didn't have to play the, the price game. You always want to offer something unique. Uh, and some industries have a very difficult time doing that. But what was the third thing that you said, uh, you know, when calculating, like the way you can manipulate price, right? It's like, okay, you could charge a premium if it, you're doing it faster. Um, if you have the same item across, you could bulk purchase for better discounts. And I could have sworn, didn't Stephen, didn't Matt say something, a third item? I mean, you can optimize your time, I guess, right? Like to me, yeah. To me, it was always um, the ability to to feel out the customer for what he's willing to pay. That's that's the human element. You'll never get that in the AI, but that's the human element. You know, it's uh, like when you try to sell a used car and you're talking to a guy. You know, it's like, well, what do you think about four thousand? You know, and you can kind of read their the reaction to it. You know, and and you adjust accordingly, and know where your bottom line is before you start playing that game, um, and uh, and always always be proud of what you do, um, because if you're not proud of what you do, they're not going to be proud of what you're doing, um, and so you've got to got to value your time. And going back into the time aspect, so 
you talked about, okay, we need to, to, you value time, go as deep as you can into time and how that correlates to the price. What do I think my time's worth? Well, I always used to base it on, um, Pep Boys. It's a car repair place here in town. Um, and you go to them and say, Hey, I need you to work on my car. You could go to a dealer and go, what do you charge to work on my car? Oh, we charge 150 bucks an hour. You're like, okay, is my skill set above uh, this this organization? Am I doing something more complex? They're just fixing things. I'm building and, and doing things. You know, I'm designing. I'm I'm doing something inherently that sorry about that that requires more more knowledge. Maybe maybe again, I'm not trying to downplay that industry at all. I'm just using it as a reference. But if you spent eight years in college to become a lawyer, you obviously have invested more. In the knowledge than the guy who went to a couple years as a mechanic just reality so you've got to price your time according to the to the investment that you've made in it if you've got a million dollar bill or ten million dollar building three hundred thousand dollar payroll every couple of weeks you've got a lot invested and so you've got to price your goods and services according to to covering that so my baseline was if they're charging 150 dollars an hour to work on my car i should be charging at least that you know, I should be charging the pet boys rate, as I say, or, or more. So I always based it on, you know, basic, just two bucks a minute. We should be able to make two bucks a minute per person out there in the production floor. And the heavier, the heavier you are in the front office, the more difficult and the higher that amount needs to be. But you've got to find that, that, that four wall expense, that overhead expense at SGNA and say, okay, here's my base number I need to cover. Divide that out of the number of employees you have and you'll, you'll come to a, a bare minimum rate that you need to, to generate. And that's what I got to the point of where I was measuring productivity hours of, of each person uh, on my, in my staff uh, that was in the you know, product related. And uh, I would do a lot of back flushing of, of operations and time. And What's that? What's back, back flushing? flushing? Okay. That I, yeah, I figured we were going to get here somewhere. Um, so <laughs> a lot of times people make a mistake of saying, I've got an operation out here. I'm going to do screen printing per se. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to take, uh, I've got a job of a hundred t-shirts. It's a hundred, a hundred or a minute, two minutes each. And uh, so therefore that's a 200 minute operation in screen printing. Right. And they say, okay, uh, Jim's going to start. He's going to barcode onto starting that operation. And then it's going to go through. And when he's done, he's going to say, I'm done with that. Well, that sounds great. It <laughs> sounds just great because you can look back at your work order and go, oh, yeah, he hit it or he exceeded it or oh, he took a little bit longer. Um, I do a different style of that. I still have a time for that because if you're if you're a sales guy or an operations guy, you've basically know how long something should take. And this is the number one thing. And my friends would always uh, question about what I was doing is they go, well, once you take all that information, you have to put all that in the system. And if I'm only building one of something, I've got, I'm going to spend, you know, hours putting this, this, what we call router information in all these steps uh, to make this item that I'm going to spend more time putting it in than it's going to take to make it. Right. And uh, my reply to that is, You've already done it. When you priced an item to a guy, you already knew what operations were involved in making that end item. And you have an idea in your head what it should take to do it. So I would always set up these generic routers that had every operation the, that we could do for something. 
And some of those operations wouldn't be used. So it'd be zero minutes in there. And the rest that did would get times in them. So then I'd have a total time for the whole thing. But instead of saying, I'm going to bond in or barcode in and out of each operation individually, I would just do what I call complete completion scanning. Completion scanning says, I don't know when you started it, but that operation's done. And so not knowing when you started it, but saying you completed it, would be the equivalent of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to take two hours to paint that wall two hours to paint that wall and two hours to paint that wall. At the end of the day, when you say you painted three walls and you were there 10 hours, I only put six hours in the bucket because you completed three walls, which were two hours each. Now I paid you for 10. You only completed six. You may have 99% of the fourth wall done, but you didn't finish it till tomorrow. So that goes into tomorrow's bucket. So you can't measure it day by day of what I bought in labor versus what I put in the in the bucket, but uh, over the week, you can see what your efficiencies are. And so that's back flushing. You can back flush materials, like each wall takes a gallon of paint. So I know you finished that wall, that's one gallon that's gone. Um, it, it's similar or easier to probably equate to, uh, every time I send a car off the line at GM, I, I, I'm, I have four less tires in stock, right? It's back flushing your material, back flushing your time and, and back flushing, um, whatever else is involved there, but, but even your setup times. Uh, so for things like in, that. in like, theory, you could have an Excel sheet, for example, with a job that's broken down by every sort of row has an item and, you know, roughly let's say, okay, let's do the $2 a minute. Um, and maybe a little bit more, maybe $3 a minute for front office type of work. And you're trying to assign the best times for, let's call it three different example jobs, like three common types of jobs to roughly get where we need to be at pricing wise to, to be running profitable jobs. But at the same time, and Steven, you talked about this before and just that, like you're filling up a bucket of, okay, we, at, we, you know, we know our overhead is let's call a hundred thousand dollars a month. And so to get there, we need to be able to sell, you know, Y dollars, and then you can track that, it sounds like, based on what your foundational pricing is, know when you hit that limit and then the rest is more so profit. Is that similarly to what you looked at? Yeah, the only thing that, that you said wrong there uh, was Excel spreadsheet, which I'm a, I had to delete out of our system for the first six months of our last ERP installation because everybody was living in spreadsheets and uh, in order to get them back in the system, you've got to delete Excel, even though all the new ERPs use Excel as a connector. Eventually um, I had to get people back in. That's the only way I was going to spend that kind of money and have people still, Oh, I did yeah. this in my spreadsheet. And which by the way, funny shit. about inflation too, <laughs> I must say, I, I was like, what in 2005 is 400,000 in today's dollars? $616,000 yeah. uh, as an investment, yeah. the power of inflation. Sorry, go ahead. Um, so this is really interesting because we service several different markets, right? We are with college athletes, bookstores, fraternities, sororities, and then we'll do roofers, you know, whatever, if someone comes in and you kind of talked about what the customer is willing to pay or what the agreeable kind of terms are of that industry. It's not like you didn't take work, but you have to start prior, like 
what I'm trying to get at is at, at Campus Inc., we know we're going to make completely different margins on different jobs, but it's hard for us to completely shut down one. But when margin starts dropping, we're super, super conscious about time. Um, you know, for instance, the time it takes to print a one-sided shirt versus a two-sided shirt, it takes twice as long to print a front and a back than it does to print a front print. But if you look at the pricing, we don't charge for it accordingly sometimes. And so those are where like those inefficiencies start to meet you. You're like, wait, wait, you can take that shirt, flip it over, run it back through the press. You could have printed one brand new other job. I don't think it's a matter of like picking and choosing what type of customers to use. I think it's a matter of just being very conscious of it. Um, and like having these little basic rules that you look at in your head and you're like, okay, my hour is 150 bucks an hour, $2 a minute. Those are like these benchmarks in your head that you kind of have to start, uh, start figuring out. And wait, Steven, I don't know. Devil's I, advocate on, cause that's a great example for a piece of work. And Matt, maybe you have an example type of job. Is there a consideration that the initial front office work is done and so that's a one-time deal for whether it's front and back or just front, it's more the production. And, and Matt, like in the, the point here is that also, you know, you talked about trying to measure the production side, measuring the front office side tends to be very gray. Almost impossible. There, there really is no, you know, that's, I directly tied my MBO program. That's managed by objective. I directly tied that, uh, tied those front office people to, kind of different measurables than the production people. And um, because they, they, they really, very few of them had an effect on what was going on in the production floor once you had good systems in place. Uh, they're more of servitudes to production. In fact, that was the, the MO we kind of had to, to change a little bit was we're here to support production. Those people are the rock stars, we're the roadies. And uh, so that that was kind of what we had to change around uh, the thought process. So the more productive and the more uh, efficient the production was, that that was how I rated the front office. And uh, so the less delays, quality, that, that all come around the front office. But it was all directly related to production. So shops listening to this might be like overwhelmed, be like, I don't measure anything. <laughs> I just show up. We run these machines and we go home. Yeah, you know? sure. Um, yeah. So I want to I want to give a couple tangibles of like things people can start doing that I I really pulled out. So you you kind of said it best. Like to make more money, you can sell for a higher price. You can reduce your costs, or you can sell more of something. That more was uh, productizing your services for shipping. So I thought that was super cool. Um, but when you talked about measuring, I thought the most like interesting part was um, you put a time for everything, even if it wasn't super accurate, at least having the employees start doing something was just like a healthy habit. So I think if shops are listening to this, like even if it's a clipboard, that's okay. It just, just start writing things down. I think is, is, is what I'm getting at, you know, start measuring. Well, it can be as simple as what Bruce was saying with an Excel sheet. You can take each uh, operation, or what I call uh, work stop, 
uh, in your business and say, okay, well, we've got design. design. The design guy should take 15 minutes to get this straight or artwork generation. Each one of those, um, just put a price per minute on each one of those workstations. And that's generic. You can have that clear across the, the top of the, of the spreadsheet and then just start filling in uh, each, each job you get and the time of, of each operation it's going to touch. So like, oh, this isn't even going to go to artwork generation. This is just going to go to straight to print for some reason because we've done it before or something like that. And put those times in per unit, take it times the quantity, and that at least give them a rough idea. Now, for me, I would be the one who set the standard uh, at first. I'd go out there and say, well, I can do I can do one every three minutes on here. This was the funny part. Um, I would take that number times three and say, you should get one every nine minutes. And I would get people who came back after the job was over and we were reviewing some things. And they're like, we can't do it as fast as you. And I would always say, well, I actually did it in a third of the time. And you're telling me that you do this every day and you're not going to be faster than me. And I don't do it all the time. I said, I'm, I'm not the Michael Jordan of this operation here, but I'm just telling you I've tripled my time. So let's go back out there and go head to head. And this was in extreme cases. We'd kind of do that. Uh, and then you'd find out that, that they indeed weren't, they either had a comprehension problem or there was a, uh, uh just a, a work ethic problem sometimes, uh, or a distraction scenario. Uh, then that's the other thing too. I, I need to mention this. Small shops are very distracting environments. The owner walks up, he's got to unload in his truck. It's not going to look good if you're just standing there looking at him. So you go over to help him. Well, what happens when you go over to help him? Suddenly you're not getting done what you are supposed to get done. And sometimes the owner is the biggest problem in a company. And uh, because he's constantly redirecting sometimes. your effort. All <laughs> like 90% of the time. <laughs> we, we were just talking about, I feel like half the problems is just us getting out of our own way. Yeah. When I finally got a full management structure, you know, a, a, a general manager in place and a production uh, supervisor and all these, all these things set in place where I just would go on vacation the entire summer. Uh, I once came into the office just to say hi, like a politician, you know, came in to uh, kiss hands and shake babies. And uh, so I came in <laughs> and I went back to the machine department. And here we had uh, one one of our helpers who wasn't the most uh, English versed kind of people. I, I think his comprehension level was a little below normal. And but he'd been with me a long time and I went back there and he had four machines running by himself just by himself, unattended. And he was just kind of running between them. And uh, I was getting ready to go to lunch. And I, I just went there. I go, wow, you're doing a great job, great job. And he's just kind of nodding. I said, I said, you're a Superman. And and I said it and uh, smiled and I walked out. Came back from a two-hour lunch meeting. And uh, they go, what did you what did you say to that guy back there? And I go, why? They go, well, he quit. <laughs> I go, he quit. Like, oh my God, it's been with me like five years. What do you mean he quit? And I go, what did you say to him? Did you call him a stupid man? I go, stupid man? No, uh, I called him Superman. And that's when my general manager goes, he goes, you know what? From now on, just smile and wave. Just smile and wave at people. <laughs> just, just stay out of the floor, please. <laughs> yeah. So they had to call him up, beg him to come back, cost me two more dollars an hour, you know, so I got in my own way again. <laughs> So. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. We call it Hurricane Steven at Campus Inc. 
Um, and so, uh, and my business partner does it too. And we're both, you know, we get in there, start talking to people, distractions, moving presses, stuff around. moving stuff around, you know, I'm unloading something from my car, exactly that same, same thing, you know, and then there are the employees that just want to talk to you or like want to get in front of yeah. you. Uh, for yeah. some reason, you know, when I'm not there, they don't talk to me, but when I'm there, Oh, they want to chat, right? So these are all real nice. life issues that we're definitely all all <laughs> dealing with. So hilarious. Yeah, it's a it's it's a quandary. And the smaller the business, the more you want to be personal. You know, you want it to be personal because it is a personal deal for you. But at the same time, uh, you're there to make money. Uh, there's other places you, you can be poor anywhere. So uh, you go there to not be poor. And uh, and to achieve something, so uh, that makes it hard. You have to be more disciplined than anybody in the organization about about what you're causing when you walk in the door. I, I stopped calling people into my office because they were working. I really wasn't a generator. I wasn't generating any revenue at all. I was just just the guy at the top. So I started going to see people, you know, and uh, and would set appointments that way, but. I, uh, I stopped asking people to come into my office. First of all, it made them nervous as hell. And, and second of all, it was, it took them away from whatever they were working on. So if you're a shop owner listening to this and you go into your shop five days a week, I, I challenge you to get out of your shop one day a week and just start seeing, you're going to learn so much. You're either going to learn you have rockstar employees or that they're not well-trained enough and they rely on you too much. But Matt, what you're talking about right there is so relevant. And when you start letting go, you can you can work on real things in your business like that. Bruce, you were going to say something. Uh, I just had I was kind of curious about the timing people because you've brought it up a few times. But, you know, I've heard a lot of feedback that that that's hard with the team. How did you do that where? you know, people didn't necessarily feel like robots or like, how did you essentially, like, how did that work? Were people okay with it? Um, was it incentivized maybe? Yes. Very incentivized. I, I started, I may have mentioned it earlier, an MBO program, which is management by objective. And as a leader or a company owner, all you're doing is setting up what you want to achieve and the price you're willing to pay for it. So if your big deal is organization and you say, look, I want five S around here. I want outlines on the floor for carts. I want things orderly. I want things in place at the end of every day or end of every shift. That's, that's something that's important to you. And you know, it has a value to it. You need to put a value on getting that done. Otherwise it becomes an open-ended project that never really gets done because, Oh, we get, we're busy. We're busy. We were so it's 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 something that causes extra attention to the things you want in your business. So when I set up MBOs, a lot of them were easy to measure in the ERP, uh, but some of them were just very simple uh, housekeeping. You know, um, hey, I, I like I said, I want carts outlines for stuff on the floor. I want I don't want trash laner. I want trash cans empty. And you you have a way of measuring it. If you can't measure it, you can't penalize it, and you can't reward it. So you have to be able to measure it. And so I said, they said, well, what's that worth to you, Matt? And then this is how it would all go. You go. I'll pay 15,000 if that happens by the end of this quarter. And so they go, okay, they write 15,000 down, figure out how that was going to get distributed throughout the shop. And that money got filtered all the way down to the guy who who cleaned floors. 
And uh, so, and if it happened, they got that 15,000. If it didn't, nobody got any of that 15,000. They may have gotten another MBO or another objective that I wanted, but I had those total up. And that's when the company really kind of turned into a, a professional organization. Um, and uh, it sounds like I had all my ducks in a row. I had them all in a row except for one, which was diversification. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, we were ready to uh, tackle the world. So, you know, wrapping up here, uh, the, what, what happened to the business? It sounds like there was a few stories here of like you sold or like the industry changed or what went down? Um, again, oil field. So you've, you've heard of the, the rise and fall of the oil field, uh, on a daily basis now. I mean, it, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, it kind of got caught up in a very unique situation where the company I was dealing with was a a foreign company uh, located here in the U.S. And after we invaded Iraq, uh, they decided they wanted to pull, because that screwed up their arrangement with Iraq on oil, they wanted to pull as much manufacturing from the U.S. as possible. And I got caught in that. And they were 90-some percent of my business. So the diversification uh, was the key there. And... uh, and again, you know, it's like once you're once you're going down that rabbit hole, uh, you're all the way in. You you can't really crawl back out. Uh, and so that's that's what got caught up there. And that's what I said. The diversification would have would have prevented that. And we also were focusing on a new technology instead of being just a contract manufacturer. We focused on a new technology uh, that we we just got to the edge of getting and, and missed it. So. Um, and so, Matt, when you saw that coming, did you try to pivot really hard? Like, did the business get acquired? Did you shut it down? What was, you know? Well, what, it, was a, it was a odd time because when it happened, um, we kind of, we we had all this capability. Like, we were a phenomenal machine, but I could no longer afford the, the people who could run the machine. And the worst part about it is there was nothing else to go out there and get. The economy had taken a dive. Everybody had pulled back their, their outsourced manufacturing. And so it was a very rare time where almost like where you become unemployed and suddenly a, a 10 million people are unemployed. And so the chances of you finding something on the street just laying around was nothing. I mean, I've wow. never been in a situation where there was, it's like you ran out of food, but there was, everybody ran out of food. And uh, so that's what happened to it. And I was just not prepared for that personally or business wise. And, uh, and, and I could kind of add this real quick. Uh, if you ever look at hiring somebody to help you run your business or your, your next level down guy, take a guy who's uh, got the experience and, and possibly had the same thing happen to him where where he's lost it all because that guy's going to manage your crap like tighter than you ever would because he's like, I don't ever want to touch the ground again. I always tell people I know where the ground is. I, uh, I passed it on the way down. <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm staring up Sheesh. out of a hole. Uh, and so when you find a guy like that who's been through that, you will have a very – uh, tight-minded person who's not going to let that happen to him ever again, even if it's not his. So, and Matt, obviously, you guys have uh, rebounded pretty well now, helping your wife uh, cake for one. Um, I don't know if that's a full rebound yet or not, but, but it's it's cool it. because you're doing business again with a different twist, applying a lot of the same principles. But it seems like it's fun to do now. 
um, or, or, you know, this is a great promo days. item, by the way, to cake, the number four and then one O N E.com. Um, it's like little yeah, yeah, treats to get cake in, the, in a jar, a but pretty cool <laughs> to send to a, like a company team or, or bring for an outing or, you know, thank you. Yeah. That's, ideas. that's kind of the, the goal of it. Yeah. Is, is promotional stuff we're working on trying to get into some major airlines and stuff as a, in-flight dessert and some other things. So oh, we've got yeah, some. You're going bigger than big, I was thinking. Family reunion. So <laughs> that, we, we do those. We do those as well. I mean, we're we're not above the one person walking in our stores and going, "I need one cake." You know, like nothing's better than when somebody approaches you and says, "I need." And so the the need part is not like I want, just, but I, I just, need. You're I just like, need wow, one. we're. We're talking about drug addicts now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, cake41.com. Give them a like. On it's, it's pretty cool. It's a jar. It's jarred cake. Um, that you It's shippable. So if you get a bunch of orders from screen print shops, there you go. This is Matt Merkline. Thank you so much for being able to join us, Matt. This has been uh, really cool to hear your journey as well. And um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications. If you enjoyed this video, if you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.